The Burgerkrieg Productions 15 Minutes of Fame podcast features the New York City-based singer and guitarist Mike of the metal band Vandalizer. Here's their song Time Can't Count. Uh, Burger Burger Creek Productions 15 Minutes of Fame podcast. I'm Mike from Vandalizer. It's a uh, Brooklyn-based. We'll we'll call it a metal band for all things inclusive, but I'm sure we could get uh we could split hairs if we really wanted to, but Mike, welcome welcome to the show, man. Hey Lou, thanks for having me on today, man. It's uh looking forward to uh chatting and telling you some stories and getting things moving. Oh yeah. Now, out of the gates, being being a band that's based in Brooklyn, I don't know if you grew up there, but being being a band from New York City, what tends to be one of the first things that people automatically assume about you? Um, that's a good question, man. Uh, nowadays, you know, um, when we go out of town with the group, uh, it seems like people are excited to see like some rock and roll coming out of uh, New York again that has more of a, a classic sound to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even a classic New York rock and roll sound in the vein of Mountain or the Dictators, you know, something like that. Um, and uh, you know, that's pretty much what people think, I believe. That's cool. Do you, uh, as of uh, you know, December 2021, going through a goddamn global pandemic, we're still kind of feeling the aftershocks from that shit. What do you find to be one of the most challenging things about being an active musician in New York City, based in New York City, while we're still kind of dealing with all of this shit, right? What what is what are, what are some of those those challenging things yeah. that you found? Well, I think one of the hardest things for uh, I've noticed is a lot of musicians have moved out of town. So where there used to be a plethora of people ready to play and um, you know start bands and fill in and do gigs it seems like a lot of people have disappeared you know mm-hmm. and also a big hit we took in brooklyn that i don't know if anybody's talked about but uh our rehearsal uh building went out with uh, a lot of bands used to practice at sweatshop here and uh it's like over here in east williamsburg and uh that actually went out of business during the pandemic mm. So that's a big thing that, yeah, rehearsal's not as easy as it was. Um, And uh, that Meserol strip down there uh, where the sweatshop is on, it's a pretty happening, kicking place over here. So for it to be gone is kind of a big deal. Um, Also just, you know, uh, we kept it going. Vandalizer kept it going through the pandemic, but it was, you know, practices were spread out, you know, sometimes months at a time we would, we would go without even playing. And then um, when we finally did get together, you know, we had to take all the precautions and wear a mask and do everything people were doing. But we kept it going. And then, uh, you know, 
another thing was uh, going in and doing studio time and work was, you know, a little iffy and scary because uh, being in that tight of confines of people, we had to really, you know, make sure everybody was taking care of their self and healthy and so on. Well, that's good. I, I, I think I've, I've found either musicians, I mean, just up in like upstate, for example, um, we like our scene up here, either bands folded altogether and they, yep. they stopped being active for whatever reason, whether it was just, we want to stay safe, which is totally fine, but they, they ceased activity altogether, went on hiatus or, they kind of went into this like not hibernation but creative mode. I'm gonna write, 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 write until we can get together. And then it's okay, we got all this new material. Because I've noticed like there's been a lot of new releases. Maybe I'm just noticing it f- because it's like the world is shitty. So it's like when something, when a record gets released or a single, it's like, oh, awesome. Right. But it's like, I just feel like now the bands that were active are now almost being more active because they can't do the endless touring that they were doing before. So it's like, well, how do we compensate for that? You know, we can't play shows. You know, we can't sell records at live shows as much, right? The volume of shows isn't necessarily as it was. So we're going to just write music. We're going to put out content. So I don't know. I, it's a good thing. I'm, I'm thankful for it, but yeah, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of new releases come out in the last like, 12 months actually mm-hmm. that are you know have some really kick-ass stuff you know i think the pandemic gave a lot of people time to actually slow down and collect their thoughts and um you know maybe put it down on paper or put it down on garage band mm-hmm. and uh, you know instead of you know what we usually do 60 hours worth of work you know then you go to practice and then you have some drinks and then you you know lose track of you know that we're supposed to be working on a record type of thing but <laughs> i think you know that that happened and it, there's a bunch of new records i've gotten that are just great you know um mm-hmm. that have come out in the last year a band called shadowland i don't know if you've heard of these guys but not. they're uh, they're like a traditional heavy metal band out of uh brooklyn that just you know put out a record uh, let's see about a month ago totally killer great um there's another band called tower which is kind of the same type of heavy metal like older heavy metal sounding stuff just put a record out two weeks ago that again is just amazing chock full with excellent guitar playing songwriting that's badass you know Mm -hmm. and i can go on and on actually man there's you know that i don't know if you're into the bronx or anything but those guys put out a new record uh about eight months ago that again is just spectacular I saw when that was released. I didn't check it out. Not not because I didn't want to. I think it was just it was on the radar and then it was off. But I know, I know they they did put out something, and and I think that's the other the other piece to this too is, you know, it's almost a testament, especially for like the local bands, the regional bands, the bands that are legit and true. You know, they have the drive. They they care about the music, etc. Not to say that there's like fake bands out there, but like. The bands that genuinely give a shit and this matters to them, they find a way to make it work, even in the midst of a fucking pandemic. You know what I'm saying? Like they're they they have to do it. Like I have to do music because it fucking completes me or whatever, whatever the reason is. Right there. It's not just I'm going to kind of curl up and choose to just not do, you know, not do anything. Right. 
Um, because it's the same thing. It's, I hear exactly what you're saying. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm fucking adult. I work full-time job. It's like, so work hard, play hard. And whatever play hard is, whatever you, whatever bucket you want to put that into, whether it's, you know, partying, fucking writing music, whatever, like it, it, it's all time consuming, but you make, you find a way to make it work. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Um, it's all for the love, man. It's for the love of rock and roll. Correct. Now, yeah, it's, a, it's a therapy for myself, you know, it keeps me sane. Well, speaking of like kind of I, I, I want to hear kind of the origin story for you personally. When when did rock and roll kind of first, you know, enter into your life? And like, were your parents like really appalled or are they like hyper supportive? Like, just walk me walk me through a little bit what that was like for you. Yeah, sure. Um when I was younger, you know, maybe around 12 years old, I actually started playing guitar. And uh, the reason why I started playing guitar is because actually my stepfather had uh, he had a couple records that were laying around the house. And uh, they were vinyl records. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a turntable. So one day I was playing around with the turntable, trying to figure out how to make it, you know, play. And uh, I put one of the records on. And it was like, you know, kind of this funky, slower, groovy jam. Uh, And I listened to it. I turned it on the stereo and played the whole record and kind of wondered, you know, maybe this is adult music or what is this? (laughs) And uh, I found myself listening to the same record over and over and over. I couldn't figure out what kind of music it was. And it wasn't popular and it wasn't anything anybody knew, but it turned out to be the first specials record. Oh, no shit. Wow. Yeah. So my father had purchased the first specials record, uh, I guess in college or something like that. And as I went through the rest of his, his collection, I, I pulled out things like the first New York Dolls record, which became a favorite of mine. He also had um, uh, Kiss Kiss was in the bundle, Kiss Dynasty, mm-hmm. um, and the first Clash record. Nice. Excellent fucking record. Uh, first Excellent. Roxy Music record, yeah. So that's kind of, I didn't really know what i knew like the clash was a punk rock band and uh i didn't really know much about the other bands and i I didn't even know i would ever like kiss or anything and i kind of didn't at the beginning it took a while for them to grow on me but that was kind of my introduction to music and at that time i started playing uh, uh guitar and uh at school i met a friend who was into like elvis and the beatles and that was kind of like the old music I was listening to. Cause at this time, you know, it's like, this was early nineties when I was in junior high and, uh, you know, like, uh, slaughter and trickster and, uh, soon to be Nirvana were like these really big bands while I was growing up. And I just really wasn't into that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, basically my those first couple records of my father's like led me on to get into things like the misfits and the ramones and um uh the heavy metal thing was before all of that like when i was like uh i would say like between six and ten years old i had i have an older brother that was into like judas priest and maiden and ozzy and angel witch and you know just all these really kind of what I thought was evil bands at the time. But that's kind of like when I started thinking and following music. Mm-hmm. And then when the punk rock thing hit around 12 is when I really was like, this is what I want to do. 
I, I picked up a copy of Evil Live, the Misfits record, oh, yeah. and I was like, uh, you know what? I think I can do this. You know, it's like these guys can barely play. What's going on here? And it's still <laughs> one of my favorite records to this day. And uh, from there, man, you know, I, I, I truthfully just fell in love with like the Ramones, and uh, that's like what I wanted to do. And uh, me and my buddy Alan Nelson, who I'd gone to school with, who uh, we start playing guitars together, and we put a, a punk band together like six months after we started playing and uh it was called the creeps and we were kind of like a 1977 punk cover band at lip but we were like 12 13 years old and mm -hmm. we did like damn songs and uh heartbreakers stuff and uh by that time we were really into sam hayden's dancing project yeah and uh, that led to us starting a band called uh, Teen Cool, which was me, my friend Alan, and uh, the drummer was Sean Peters. And this was all in Houston, Texas, where I actually grew up. So um, around in you know early high school, we uh, Teen Cool started uh, recording four-track demos and stuff, and uh, we put a tape out, and eventually that tape went from Houston to Austin and uh, we actually made a, a, you know, a friendship with uh, some of the bands uh, up in Austin, most notably probably is like the lower class brats who are still yeah. around and play. Yeah. yeah and, uh, there's a band called the dead end cruisers from that time and a band called the motards. And there's like a scene going on, a cool punk scene going on in Austin and the, uh, you know, from like, I mean, always pretty much, but when I was there, it was around like 96 to 99. There's some real peak stuff. And eventually, long story short, Teen Cool uh, moved up to Austin and we put out a couple records on this label, um, Mortonville Records. And then we put an EP out on Palato Records out of uh, California. And we're, you know, we've been around for almost 10 years. And uh, that led to me playing with uh, you know a bunch of other like rock bands and punk stuff and really no metal at all you know um, and at one point I joined a band called Pure Rubbish which uh, was based in Houston Texas this is why I was living in Austin and uh, that band was cool because it was two brothers and their dad <laughs> and and uh, yeah and they were like young kids between like when I joined the band, I think the drummer was 14 and the, the guitar player was 16 and uh, their dad was a singer. And we were kind of like uh, ACDC meets guns and roses with a touch of New York dolls on top of it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And uh, that band actually gained some notoriety because of the age of all of us, except for the father, really deep. Um, and we ended up doing some tours with Motorhead, and uh, what? we were out on the road with um, Nashville Pussy for a while. And uh, this led to uh, we eventually signed Sharon Osbourne. Eventually signed us to uh, her label. Jesus it's, Christ, dude. Yeah, I mean, this story is pretty funny. It's it's kind of like, what? It's one of those stories uh, that, uh, um, you know, it's a shoulda, coulda, woulda. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, man, so that's kind of like where my background comes from um, until uh, when I was living in Texas till I was about 
26, 27, and I moved up to New York. So I spent my youth uh, touring and playing. Uh, and all that time, I was a bass player. Um, and uh, that's what led me to move. I moved up to New York after all that stuff happened with Pure Rubbish. Uh, we ended up, we were a backing band for Kelly Osbourne for a while. Wow. So I did that for a moment. And then I moved out to New York uh, just to, for a change, basically. Was, and, uh, did you find that ahead. Kelly was easy to work with? Was she like a sweetheart or was she kind of a, a terror? Um, she was a sweetheart. I mean, truthfully, uh, I, she was probably 17 or 18. Yeah, I remember and, that perfectly. That, that whole phase where it's like she's like, I'm a musician. You know, like, I'm going to do this thing now. And I was like, yeah. holy shit. Like, and you were the backing band. Like, that's insane. Well, yeah, we were actually friends with her and Jack before uh, her music career and so on because her mother, uh, Sharon Osborne, had signed mm-hmm. us. And it was kind of because Kelly and Jack were like fans of the band. And, oh, okay. Uh, and it's something to do with that. And at the same time, uh, our manager was um, Todd Singerman, who, who managed like Lemmy and Motorhead for years you know still to this day he takes care of the the estate um, essentially the the estate yeah. yeah so they were friends and they probably just saw money with us because we were you know pretty pretty decent live band and again playing music it's kind of like what you said about vandalizer wasn't of the time and people couldn't put it anywhere you know and uh, this is 2000 this is 1999 you know, probably. Mm-hmm. And um, there were a lot of cool bands kicking Zeke, the helicopters, Turbo Negro, Nashville uh, Pussy, uh, Super Suckers, you name it. Mm-hmm. And that style of music, but our incorporation of like the New York Dolls and some glam rock type of stuff mm-hmm. kind of like put us uh, uh, out of that category. And long story short, Sharon's label eventually just I believe it it went out of business or she just stopped doing it. And we ended up uh, signing with the Roadrunner Records and okay. working with them for a moment. And they were kind of like pushing us towards being something like a Nickelback band oh or Nickelbacks. Yeah. And uh, eventually the band just went separate ways. And, you know, that's uh, pretty much what happened with Pure Rubbish, man. And, Again, that uh, I had a couple bands in between that that uh, you know are out there. Um, but w- by the time I got to New York, I was came up here to put together like a cool ass band mm-hmm. and uh, had some friends up here. So I started a band called Blood Runners with my friend Paul Safiati, and uh, we were kind of like this uh, Alice Cooper meets. Uh, like Max's Kansas City, the Tough Darts, if you've ever heard those guys. I have not heard Tough Darts. Oh, yeah. Is it T-U-F-F? Yeah, T-U-F-F Darts. They're, you know... A... I feel like, so that, because it's T-U-F-F Darts, I feel like I have heard them. I don't know why or where, but it's I recognize it. If you ever listen to, like, the um, live at Max's Kansas City or any of those Max's Kansas City comps, the comps you know? yeah, yeah. Okay, that's... They definitely are always on those. 
Okay. That, that fits yeah, so then. That, that fits. Yeah. If you're into that type of stuff, you definitely check those guys out. You're a bass player. So you'll totally dig the bass playing in it. Is it they were around, good. you know, they're supposed to be like uh, the dead boys or something Okay, around that time. And they were kind of like the competitor. They're the New York version or the dead boys were from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just, I believe they broke up before the record even came out. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Yeah, crazy, right? Some of the things with me, like after I moved to New York, uh, I met, uh, funny enough, basically walking down the street, I met uh, Bobby Steele, who Jeez. was a uh, guitar player yeah, the for the Misfits. Un- the undead. In the Undead, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. And... Um, uh, basically instantly stopped him in the street and said hello to him and you know hey are you bobby Steele?" he's like yeah yeah i'm bobby Steele, man what's up <laughs> i was like holy shit he's like what are you doing here it's like i live a block away he's like what are you doing here i was like well i just started working in the neighborhood actually right here at the end of your block and he's like great he's like what are you doing i was like buying you a drink would you like to speak <laughs> you know let's hang out and i basically um you know asked bobby if he wanted to drink and at that time i don't think he was drinking but we went inside the the bar i was working at and uh sat down and just started shooting the shit man and i was like you know bobby what are you doing here and i'm a huge undead fan you know when are you guys playing he's like you know, tomorrow night. <laughs> I was insane. like, where? He's like, yeah, he's like two blocks down over here. Uh, you know, he's playing in Niagara that night. So uh, the next night, uh, we, we hung out for a while. Like, you know, I kind of gave him, you know, fan questions about everything, you know, um, talked to him about the misfits and so on. And just to see, you know, if he wanted to talk about him. And, you know, Bobby, if you've ever met him, is a super nice, super cool dude who's like, pretty much has time to talk to anybody so the next night i went and saw the undead man and um that led to a friendship between me and bobby and uh at the time i believe he just won a lawsuit through walmart and had ran into some money and he asked me to help him get uh some records together some music together and some some pressing information and so on for uh two seven inches he was doing and i helped him do that uh and i took about a year and at the time he was putting together actually a, a a solo record and i was at the time kind of managing him helping him get gigs and make it to gigs and get paid and everything and um after about two years of us hanging out and me just kind of being around the undead shows and stuff, I ended up playing drums for the undead. Jeez. Yeah. So um, that was cool. And that lasted about a year, you know, on and off. And uh, I think at that time, Bobby actually moved out to New Jersey. He was living in the East Village on Fort Street, where he had been living since 1978. So. Jesus. That was pretty interesting. That's wild. And that's yeah, man. Jeez. And and it all just because you were literally A in the neighborhood that you were working in, and B, you just so happened to to do the most un New Yorker thing, and that is stop someone on the street. You know, like like normally it's just like <laughs> totally. keep your head fucking down, you go to yeah. where you need to get to fast you know like you that's and that's that's the great thing though like and that's awesome especially that i think that says something that says a huge thing 
about Bobby because, okay, yes, he's from New Jersey. He's not a New Yorker, but to be in New York, right? At that time, he was in New York, it sounds like. To be in New York and not do the stereotypical thing. Keep your head down. Go where you need. Like, he took the time. He's gracious. You know, he heard you out. You know, he went into the bar, had a drink. Like, that's that's saying something to his character. That's what I'm getting at. yeah, cool dude, and uh, you know, to this day, he's still the same way, man. He's he's a he's a New Yorker, uh, but he's a he's a really nice guy. And uh, if you're you know real with him, man, he'll give you time to talk. And you know, <laughs> he's just like you cool. and I are talking right now. Yeah, so cool. Um, yeah, and that's cool, man. He, he's he's a good dude, and he he actually introduced me and turned me on to you know a lot of friends I have now, just people you know, kind of a nice introduction into the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, still to this day, once in a while, we send uh, messages back and forth to each other. That's awesome. Pretty cool. Now, speaking of, uh, you've obviously been in New York City for quite some time, and I feel like every New Yorker is probably going to give a different answer. I'm not going to fucking ask you about pizza. What I want to know is, where is the best place to either get a breakfast burrito or a breakfast sandwich in the city? Oh, in the city, I, I would bring you out to Brooklyn. I bring you to uh, Jesse's uh, Mexican Breakfast, which is right here on Bushwick Avenue at Meserol Street. Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's open from like seven thirty to four p.m., but it's authentic Mexican breakfast with tacos and burritos, and it's it's been around for about twenty years, and it's. Uh, Every musician who's who's playing and moving right now has probably been there on the, their way to sweatshop or the anchored in, you know. Awesome. It's what's right, what's the right name there. of the place? It's Jesse's Tacos. Jesse's Tacos. All right, coming yeah. for you, Jesse's Tacos. You heard it. You heard it here. Um, I I wanted to ask you something specific to Brooklyn, specific to uh, a venue. Um, I heard that the Brooklyn Bazaar was closed in the course of the pandemic. Is that correct? It actually closed uh, about six months before, before the pandemic it. hit. Yeah, and I believe they tore the building down. Oh, so. Dude, okay. Yeah. So just a, a super quick aside. Um, we actually, so we went down, we bought in, we spent the money, and fucking we went to that Misfit show at Mass Square Garden in October of 2019, I believe it was. October, November of 2019. And... Yeah. Um, the night before we stayed in we stayed in Brooklyn. The night before there was a Contravoid show that was happening at uh, Brooklyn Bazaar, and I'd never been there, but I'd heard stories. Like, and I was like, "Ah, oh, okay, is great. okay." So I walked into this place. Now, first of all, it was obviously they they have this, the two floor setup or whatever it is. There's the basement, there's the middle floor, and there's upstairs, right? So yeah. go inside, and they were doing uh, Contravoids like this, like. Hard, like harder electronic, like dark wave, I guess, if that's you want to get fucking specific with it. Doesn't matter. Hard electronic music from Toronto. He played drums in Crystal Castles for a couple of years and broke off. It's it's fantastic. Oh, sure, music. sure. Yeah. The guy was in uh, Kill Cheerleaders. Yes, yes, dude. Yeah, yeah. Cam, yeah. Cam is a fucking, I've met him uh, now a couple of times at his shows. He's fantastic, fantastic musician, but also just a Genius, super nice yeah. guy. Genius. So I saw him in the, he was like kind of doing the headliner. He's one of the main headliners of that show. So walk inside, and the first thing I walk in, the bouncers, he, I'm wearing a Screeching Weasel shirt. He's like, dude, Screeching Weasel shirt. I haven't seen one of those all night. Blah, 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 blah. Awesome. So we're talking for a minute. We're <laughs> just great. bullshitting about the latest record at the time or the last record that had come out. 
Um, I think we ended up talking about it. It wasn't the latest record, but Cardinal, uh, Carnival of Schadenfreude or whatever. Anyway, go down in the basement and like automatically the temperature is rising. There's smoke and there's no lights on. It's just like the fucking, wow. you know, the red, the red lighting that they had set up in the basement yeah. with like the velvet <laughs> walls and shit. I, I, it was like, I walked into a fucking movie set. It was amazing and i couldn't yeah, get over it i'm awesome. like i'm like what the fuck is this place and i couldn't figure out for the life of me what this place was before it was a fucking concert venue and i'm wondering what do you have like what was that place sure. it's yeah, a fucking that, anomaly that was, to me that was a, it was a polish event center oh, it's Jesus. it's it, it was in greenpoint and greenpoint brooklyn is a pretty big polish community well, yeah, they have and, polska and shit right exactly yep. yeah amazing venue as well that was that was crazy there too that's where i saw i saw crystal castles there as well like just in the oh, same wow. spot yeah oh cool yeah that's weird they're playing in the basement the basement was set up like a like 70s uh strip club yes. or something yes and and the rumor was it was it was it was a mob hole that was a mob basement you know if you could picture all the paddings and stuff the and the mirrors on the fucking wall. walls yeah. dude there was uh -huh. there was definitely cocaine residue from the 70s on those mirrors on the wall it was it was just Absolutely wild no doubt wild <laughs> to me i and i'm glad that so you have been there you've been you've been in the venue oh yeah yeah i played several shows there we played with doa there oh, Jesus um Christ. then we played with a uh, hank rest in peace from turbo negro um but there was a there's the downstairs but then there was the upstairs yes which is a gigantic uh, banquet hall. And then a lot of people didn't know, but on the first floor, there was even a bigger banquet hall. In back? And then if you, yeah, in the in the back of the place, there was even a bigger back. Like uh, the first floor you walk into, there's, yeah, you know, on the, on the left-hand side, you'd walk into a big restaurant with a big arcade with a bunch of video games and stuff. Wow. And then you would go down the stairs to get to the shady basement, which had six, I think five or six rooms down there. Yes. Business place. Well, that was, that yeah. was a thing. It was like, the, I, I don't know what the fuck the name of it. I'm going to butcher it. If I try and come up with it, essentially it was like the New York city, like dark wave festival for the fall or whatever. So like in each room they had like an artist. So in the main, the main big basement room, you oh, know, wow. one of the headliners would play. And then it was like, all right, now in this room, this dude's doing a fucking set. And in this, you know, like, so kind of like the round Robin thing where it's like, if you have the two stages next to each other, band plays, band sets up that kind of shit. Right. Um, yeah. But it was, yeah, that, that place blew my mind and it bums me out that they tore the fucking building down because yeah. I never been in something quite like that before. It was just, and I love, it was a beautiful, it was an amazing experience. Like this is fucking crazy. And you play there too with multiple bands, multiple insane bands, DOA. So, sure. so did you meet shithead? Was he, a, was he a, a good dude? Like, did you actually have a conversation with him? Yeah, I actually did. Um, he, we were just sitting backstage, and all the bands who had played that night were just sitting backstage. And he, you know, he came. Actually, it was earlier in the evening before everybody played, and he came back and was kind of making a set list and was just like talking to everybody. How's everything going? And I was like, I actually remember uh, asking him, you know, do you talk to Randy anymore? He was like, <laughs> he looked, he looked right at me. He said, Rampage. Mm. He's like, not in years, you know. And I was. 
was like, that's, I'm a big Randy Rampage fan. I always was. And he's like, hmm, that's interesting. People don't talk about Randy very often anymore. And I was like, man, his solo record he did is killer. And he's like, I don't know about that, you know. <laughs> But um, I talked to him for a while. I kind of had a fan trip on him. And then, you know, he just asked me what was going on in Brooklyn. You know, what are what are things going on? What bands are going on and everything? It was totally cool, man. That's cool. Um, did yeah. you uh, did you read his book, I Shithead? I, I did, yeah. So how fascinating. Because, I, so I, I have never met him. But reading through the book, I could hear, because like it's very... It sounds to me it read like it, it's how he talks, like it's conversational yeah. in that regard, you know. And sometimes it's like it, the you know the the sentences run run on forever, but it's like but that's also it seems the way like he would speak to you, which is fascinating to me. That I, I was very interested to learn, um, and not to fucking go on a, on a tirade about his goddamn uh, autobiography, but what I found very interesting is talk about a band that was literally playing in like the smallest living in a house together in the smallest <laughs> weird recluses of like parts of Canada. Like, you know, they were staying in that like logging town. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, so we could, they could stay there for super cheap. And it was just like a shit hole, but like, that's how they had to do it. And they were playing the yeah. weird, like trucker bars or like logger, but like just that to me. Cause like, I'm, I'm only, th I'm going to be 32 in February or 33 in February. So like, I'm not super young, but like, I'm also in that, at that age where it's like, those are the bands that you look up to because it's like, they are from a different time in the same sense that you are from a different time in the same sense that fucking whatever, right? Children now we're all in these different areas. So it's like, when you have stories like that, where it's like, could that shit happen nowadays? You know, like it's just the, the yeah, times, good the times are different. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like you could easily just, oh, I recorded a, an album in my fucking living room with a computer where it's like True. they're they're like we had to travel into Toronto like and that was a huge deal. Like that story about like them with that sketchy ass car or whatever, like or the van or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like the van. Yeah. 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 Like that. That to me, it's like it's almost like. What's sad to me is the internet has almost made things a little less chaotic and safer. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't, ha I don't it's, have to take totally the crazy true, trip yeah. in my shitty van because I can just do a, f I can record this shit in my basement and email it to somebody and they'll fucking master it and all that shit. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I think it, it, you know, when you look at that, uh, it's a give and take type mm -hmm, of situation, mm -hmm. you know, it is Absolutely. easier to record in your living room now and, and, and have people hear it, you know, it's way harder to have a classic, you know, such as, yes. you know, doa's first four records you know um but also at the same time gas used to be 67 cents a gallon <laughs> that's true that's true that's true <laughs> and it's five dollars a gallon now i don't know i've thought about it it's always been a question throughout my life you know as a you know a music fan enthusiast you know especially following metal scenes and punk rock underground scenes and shit my whole life you know I, I, the struggle is still there, and uh, there's just a lot more to choose from now that going back to kind of where you started this all off with is uh, with so many influences, you know? Mm -hmm. And so now instead of just, you know, you know, being a punk rock band, a hardcore band, a straight edge band, you name it, sure. uh, there's 
there's just so many different, you know, uh, genres, you know, if that's even, you know, comparable yeah. now, you know, do we even call it a genre anymore or do we just go back to calling it fucking music? Yeah. It's rock you know? music, you know, like it's, it's rock music or whatever. It's rock and roll. That's it. It's rock and roll. It's rock and roll. Rock and that's roll. what it is. You know, yep. That's what I get. And that going back to that vandalizer uh, intro that you said that you were, you know, kind of intrigued by what type of sound yeah. this is. And, and are there more acts like this in New York? And um, to me, uh, I, that's a hard question to ask, but kind of, I think what vandalizer is doing is kind of on a plate of its own because it is punk rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has a taste of metal in it, you know, and then it is metal, but it has a taste of rock and roll in it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of been, you know, even maybe a problem with us, uh, with, you know, getting shows or even having reviews or interviews sometimes because the, the punk crowd doesn't know what the heck we are Mm -hmm. and the metal crowd thinks we're punk, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So in there, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, classic bands that have had the same problems, you know, um, but to me, uh, we're a rock and roll band, oh, with, yeah. you know, influences from 1970s punk rock to 1970s metal to, uh, you know, a big thing with me is LA, uh, hardcore punk from the early eighties mm-hmm. and, uh, everything else that surrounds it man I, you know i fucking love guns and roses and hanoi rocks as much as i love mm-hmm. <laughs> bands that people hate like megadeth you know um but at the same time i've got my ear to the ground and i i also listen to a lot of like new punk rock and uh new pop and hip-hop and all sorts of shit man well yeah. there's i just oh god god no i was just gonna keep rambling let me know which easy to say no, no, no. I, I, I wanted to mention something in particular. There's so uh-huh. there was a there was a show that I was gonna put on. It was it was at, at a house show. It fucking fell through. People at the venue got like sick or some shit. It, whatever. It's neither here nor there. One of the bands I was gonna bring up, they're from Oneana. So they're it's kind of, you know, I mean you you're you've been in New York for quite some time. I'm sure you're familiar with where Oneana is in relation to Albany, but also the city. Um there's a group of young dudes out there and they're called Firing Squad. And hmm. I That's highly right. recommend that you check them out. They're definitely in the in the mainstream of a little bit more speed metal type stuff. Um, or I don't even want to say speed metal. I just check them out. I I, I think you'll like it. It's yeah, they're for fucking sure. wicked good. Um extremely talented group of group of young individuals. Um anyway, I, I'm curious. This is kind of the I guess the portion of the interview. Tell tell the listeners, if you will, where can people you know, check out your music. Um, you know, where, where can they buy your merch where they can kind of follow you, your socials, stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the best place to find any vandalizer stuff is to go to Bandcamp, and the Bandcamp is a vandalizer one at bandcamp.com. And that's, you can pick up, uh, both of our, our tape EPs and we have a, uh, third EP that's on the seven. So we actually have three releases out. You can get t-shirts there. Uh, you can buy the downloads, hit us up, spend some money. We need it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Now, speaking of, I believe it's your, your most recent, uh, EP, uh, that was put out in October, uh, ride you, uh, the, the track on their dream hunter, 
I, I think, I mean, it's a massive song. You know, to me, this this is the one I kind of spent the most time with. You know, the the riffs, there's a catchy chorus in there. It's fucking unrelenting the entire song. It's a nice little guitar lead, and then the melodies kind of interchanging towards the end of the song with the vocals. Like, it, it all melds together. It's, it's a fucking awesome song. And on the topic of, of dreams, I feel like this season in particular, season three, I've developed questions around songs, a lot of, about dreams and nightmares, but I want to talk about dreams in relation to like dreams and aspirations when it comes to music, specifically your music and the bands you're involved with. And I'm wondering for you, you know, for somebody that has so much history playing music, performing, touring, how has your dreams and aspirations when it comes to your music and your art? How has that changed since when you first started as to where you are now? Texas to New York. How has that changed? Well, it's a good question. Um, you know, at, at this point uh, in my career, it, it just seems like I've almost done a full circle. Whereas um, I'm totally into the music just to make it happen and just to do it mm. to see what will happen and when i first started playing music that's was it I, I learned a song and worked it up with the band and it wasn't to record it or to play it live or to be famous or be known or anything it was just to prove that i can do it and that it's done you know it's uh and that's you know, I, I see all these years later, that's just based on my, my love of music, man. You know, I love to create it. I love to listen to it. And through all the, the, you know, record label touring studios, producers, um, it's, it's been different things at different times, mm. you know, but at this point with this latest release and these songs, it just all went back around to like, Hey man, take a moment and just do something because you love it and you want to get it done and you think people should hear it. And that's, you know, that's what these three songs are. Mm -hmm. 